Before we get started, you should probably know that the following podcast contains strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Also, it will almost certainly contain spoilers. Hello and welcome to Minisode 119 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart, and if I'm sounding a bit weird, that's because seconds before I pressed record on this, uh, I swallowed some water down the wrong tube and I had a massive coughing fit and sprayed water all over my room. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I didn't I didn't have the visual element, but I could hear it and it sounded quite dramatic. Yeah, it was quite the visual, if I'm honest. <laughs> <laughs> Aside from that, how are you? I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. Yeah, uh, nothing massive to report, really. Plodding on as always, you. Yeah, much the same. Very, very busy week, um, but fine. Getting there. A few things just kind of hitting kind of endpoints, or just kind of having to just keep myself to myself. Keeps me out of trouble, Andy. I must say. Yeah, otherwise you'd be out there mugging old ladies, stealing tellies, slashing bellies, basically, yeah, causing trouble wherever you go, because that's uh, that's very much your personality. It's very much in the Mitch Bain way, yeah. Um, so, in amongst all of this stuff that's been going on, I did manage to watch one thing this week, and I have a hunch that you maybe did as well. Ah, okay, yeah, sure. Just purely from our texting this week and things like that, but the only thing that I really made room for outside of the 90s side quest this week was uh, McGee's Babysitter Killer Queen. Yes, I also watched this. Okay, cool. So, uh, unless you have anything else you want to get into, we might as well just kind of get into this reasonably critically then. Yeah, let's do let's do that. Let's dig into this because I don't really have a massive amount of other stuff to talk about. I've got a few things that I started and I didn't get around to finishing. Okay, so I mean, this is the sequel to the Babysitter, the McGee film that came out in twenty seventeen, and I would characterise as a kind of pleasant surprise. Yeah, I had I had, I had fun with the Babysitter. Yeah, yeah, like I think that all the kind of like self-consciously gimmicky style cues and things never really annoyed me in the way that I kind of expected that they would I thought it was pretty funny I thought some of the gore was really good mm-hmm. obviously you had him Samara Weaving in that who's obviously gone on to like be quite a big deal in horror circles since then I would agree yeah so I would say that I was like reasonably interested in a sequel to this although I didn't find the trailer to be particularly uh, attention grabbing yeah yeah but what I just want to quickly say is I found the sequel considerably more annoying than the first one yeah that's kind of why I mentioned that I think that there's an element of you know what you're signing up for when you watch one of the sure. guys films i think so i think that like uh, i think that criticizing the set pieces and dialogue for not imitating human behavior in a mcg film is kind of like criticizing a duck for quacking you kind of know what you're signing up for however i don't think that that excuses just how irksome this gets at some points it really does at points there's a lot actually i'm just going to head this off by saying i had a relatively okay time with this it, it was fun nonsense but mm-hmm. there were moments in it where i was going ugh. Mitch is going to fucking like this bit. <laughs> yeah, certainly I think that there's like there's elements of this that I'm going to like way more than you just because of, and I'm basing that on like me liking things like detention. There was a mo- there's a moment with an Apache dance break. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, oh, 
I don't like this. Mitch is going to like this. Near the mark for me, I would say. Um, <laughs> sure. But yeah, obviously, um, this film follows the fortunes of Cole, who uh, was the main character who kind of escaped at the end of the first film. Yeah, he um, was the son in I See You, which we talked about on Patreon the other day. Oh, well, yeah, so he was. So he is kind of like trying to get on with life. He's in high school now. Basically, very soon or very early on in the film, he kind of escapes with his friend to this beachside getaway. Doesn't take long before the demons from the first film kind of resurface and everything kind of kicks off again. I don't know why he's decided to completely... Obviously, he's got some troubles on the kind of off the back of what happens in the first film, and no one believes his story and his version of events and what happened in the first film, but he is now kind of this pariah in his school because he's had this experience. Despite being a very attractive young man, mm-hmm. he is uh, bullied mercilessly, teased everywhere he goes, and for some reason has started wearing three-piece corduroy suits like some kind of weird librarian or Sheldon from Big Bang Theory. That's how you know he's alternative. That's how you know he's alternative, because he wears a three-piece corduroy suit. Yeah, he dresses like Panic at the Disco did in 2006. Okay. It's that. Oh, I've to um, for that. I can't, I can't remember that far back. That was a, that was a <laughs> crazy old period for me, Mitch. Oh. I think that everything about this is kind of self-conscious and very deliberately there, and I think that like a lot of it is for effect, and none of it really, like I say, mimics human behaviour in any way at all, really. Sure. Um, but I, I've got to say, I, I was welcome to see the return of the characters from the first film as demons in this film. Yeah, that whole entrance is very funny and very effective, I think. Yeah, and it's hilarious. It's never not hilarious that Robbie Amell still doesn't have a t-shirt on. Uh Aha. It leans into a lot of the kind of callbacks to the first one and stuff like that quite nicely. And I agree with you. I think that overall, this is like a reasonably okay time. But... I'm not going to venture any further than that. I certainly would be very careful about who I recommended it to because I think that for every one person that I mentioned this to that would think that it's like a reasonable distraction or a suitable way to like kind of whittle away an hour and 40 minutes and we'll get to that in a second, by the way. Um, I think that there would be three or four people who think that it would probably be amongst the most annoying things that they've ever seen. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, I, I would say it's okay. But I would say that where it ultimately falls down is that it. Uh, the, I really don't like the ending. I think it's really protracted and quite silly and it takes too long. Agreed. Yeah, but I think I feel like we're coming up roughly on the same side of the line here. It seems that way. Yeah, I would say that in the, like this probably sits in the kind of six and a half out of ten territory. Yeah, and another thing I want to say is Ken Marino is a fucking delight. Yeah, he's great, isn't he? Yeah. So yeah, Babysitter Killer Queen. That is on Netflix now, I think pretty much everywhere. If you mm-hmm. like the first one, I would say that there's no guarantee that you'll really like this, but I would also wager that you won't hate it. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Uh, it's maybe about as high as the praise will go, but yeah, I would say it's out there, and yeah, <laughs> fuck it. It's worth a look. Go for it. Like I say, it's, it's dumb as fuck. But it's relatively good fun. So that's about the height of our viewing for this week. Apart from... Uh, I was watching Cobra Kai. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I've heard pretty good things about Cobra Kai. So is there two seasons of that now? There is two seasons of it, and it's it's really excellent. And this is a Karate Kid prequel, is that right? No, no, good lord, no. No, 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 it's a sequel. Oh, right, okay. God knows where I plucked prequel from. Yeah, if okay, you take um, Machio from the original and the guy that plays Johnny, the bad guy from the original, mm-hmm. and move them into now... That's where we are. They're older oh, men. Okay, okay, okay. And as and so yeah, so you're enjoying this so far. How far in are you? Oh, very far, very far. I'm, I'm, I'm crushing okay, it. Cool, that's cool. been the, that's been the real weight of my watching this week. I see. Right. Okay. I only have one more thing to throw in the pile. I thought you might have, and that was cheeky. I made you drop that in. So let me resume regularly scheduled programming with this. Mitch, what's he since from the nineties? 
And for once in my life, I said last week that I would watch something, and I immediately just watched it. Oh, uh, go on. Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Oh, of course. Yes, yes, yes. After my horrifying story about a young boy climbing to the top of some... uh, play park metal work yeah uh-huh. harrowing stuff incidentally um mm-hmm. but yes uh installment number seven of the nightmare on elm street franchise was my 90s side quest choice for this week i believe that i said that i thought i would like it because it seems to lean into all of the kind of uh self-referential meta garbage that i swallow whole like uh-huh. by the ton pretty much that i thought was great i had a really good time <laughs> with it uh, i don't know what like i didn't do too much kind of uh, digging into what the general consensus is about this one whether it was well liked at the time anything like that i just watched it with no context and really enjoyed it well that's a good thing about this one is that it doesn't really demand context it doesn't demand previous knowledge of the franchise in fact it sits kind of aside from the the main franchise yeah i guess technically it sets itself in an entirely different universe the universe being this one <laughs> yeah, yeah um so yeah no i i really liked it now on this subject we have been talking about the fact that it's just about time, I would say, to bring the 90s side quest to a close. I still think that's preposterous, but carry on, yes. Because I think I've been doing it for a few months now, and I think that it's maybe just like... I mean, I'm not going to stop watching 90s films. Every now and again, I might pop up and just be like, oh, I just kind of had a brief reintroduction to the 90s side quest and watched X. Well, you still haven't watched Darkman. Yeah, I'm going to try and squeeze that in in the closing few weeks, but on that subject, I think that... And someone's going to have to remind me that I've said this. Okay. But I think that I'm going to make the last 90 cycle as an official bit, you know, as like as an actual feature sure. of the viewing. I'm going to make the last 90 side quest of that segment, the mini-sode for October the 26th. So I'm going to watch them until just before Halloween. All right. Okay. Okay, cool. So I think that that leaves, if I'm not mistaken, four in the month of October remaining. Right. And two more after this one. So there's six spaces left. So Dartman, I'm going to try and get to occupy one of those. Everybody, if you have been kind of like nudging me or egging me on to watch something, now is the time to remind me. Absolutely. Yeah. Get your get your suggestions in now. Absolutely. So Andy, we have been talking about the fact that it is just about time to shift focus to you for a side quest. Mm. Um give you some homework for a change and uh, we have had a couple of suggestions about this and we did ask for people to pitch in with the kind of things that they might want you to do um right. Einfach andre uh, andre martins yes has uh, been in touch saying that he would like you to do a retrospective of the works of bruno Mattei. Oh, that's not like a side quest that's like one of those annoying quests that you get given in a video game where you need to go and kill like a hundred pigs across the whole map <laughs> Like that's that's just a chore. I mean, he did kind of allude to the fact, he said the brilliance of Bruno Mattei and then uh, did qualify it with uh, traces of actual brilliance may not be included. Well, that's an understatement. Oh, right. Okay. Wow. I mean, I'm more than happy to do something like that. Well, I mean, you know, let's not just jump on the first suggestion that comes our way here. Okay, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm open to more. Carry on. And Panda got in touch this week as well, mm. suggesting that you pick a prolific production house right. and work through their output with a view to ranking it. With a view to a book. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, that obviously, the first one that comes to mind in this day and age is Blumhouse. Sure. Uh, because they, I guess that they're interesting in a couple of ways because their stuff ranges from kind of like... Uh, very low budget straight to VOD stuff to like mid-range theatrical releases to these handling of major horror properties. Uh, And also varies from poor to quite good. Yeah, so it could be good for being a surprise week to week or certainly variable week to week, which I think is always part of the fun. So something like that has also been floated. That's now on the table. Obviously, it need not be Blumhouse, but yeah, a company that kind of rattles out films. You could do The Asylum. (laughs) 
Do you know how long it would take for me to go back through the entire back catalogue of Asylum releases? Yeah, I was only half serious for that one. I think that would be another uh, side quest that would have to get jacked in before it concluded. And to rank them, it seems like an, it seems like folly to try to rank the films of the Asylum as well. Uh, yes, I think that, that would kind of be a little bit like trying to do a descending list of your favourite diseases. <laughs> I've probably got a more extensive and complete list of diseases that I'm into than I do a list of asylum films that I've liked. Because I've seen quite a few. Well, I don't doubt it. Such is the level of shit that I watch. <laughs> <laughs> but there it is. We've put a ceiling on it. We've put an end date on it. There's a month and a half left of the 90s side quest. That also means that there's somewhere in the region of a month and a half left of my 30s, which is fucking horrible. Mmm, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big 4-0 looming large on the horizon there. Yeah, before that, though, someone else has got a birthday. Someday with a beard and lots of body hair. Yeah, he sure does. Yeah, next week. <laughs> it's quite possible that we'll actually be recording on my birthday next week. Well, it'd be nice if we could do that in person. So I, I know she listens, so Nicola Sturgeon, if you could just lift any and all regulations just for a day. Yeah, even just for a couple of hours, mid-afternoon on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would be fine. Yeah, it'd be perfect. Be more than enough. I'll get you more a cake. More than enough. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Feedback time, and they have been saying Perlenti this week on a whole variety of topics, some of which, of course, um, centering on Saw 3. Now, we were, or I certainly, was very happy to revisit the Saw franchise this week uh, with your good self and also with the aid of Philip G. Carroll Jr. and Chloe Carroll, who are the respective director and star of The Honeymoon Phase, also uh, Chloe, the owner and kind of proprietor of Fear Crypt. Yes. Great conversation. I had a really good time with that. Yeah, me too. It was just a lovely time. Lovely people. Yeah, it really was. And um, a few people getting in touch with their thoughts on uh, Saw 3. Mm-hmm. So Danny, Exodando on Instagram, <laughs> I saw uh, this. when we announced it, simply said, ah, yes, the third bit of the Saw movie. <laughs> It really is an extended act three. It really is, yeah. Also, uh, our old pal Lucy, uh, Lucy Goes to Hollywood, LGTH blog. Uh, can't wait for this. Loved the honeymoon phase. So obviously she checked that out at Fright Fest. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I, I hope the episode was to your liking. Uh, Laura Bynan getting in touch saying, I like the moral sense that Saw 3 has. Now, this is interesting because uh, Laura had said that she was checking out Saw 3, having seen none of the others. So what I would say is that um, without a little bit of grounding in what had happened in the first couple, I would say that that was probably quite a disorientating experience. Yeah, that's an incredibly gutsy move. Uh, yeah, I would say so. But Laura, what I would say is, if the kind of like the moralizing of it is something that appeals to you, then if you like that in the third one, then definitely go back and check out the, f- especially the first couple. I thought you were going but, to say part six. Well, part six as well. Part six is the best one for that, in my humble opinion, as we all know well. But yeah, Laura, if you liked Saw three, then I would say, and those were the things about it that you found the most appealing. Then doing a dig back through the franchise would, I would say. You'd probably get a decent amount out of that. So there you go. Staying with Saw 3, I did also have uh, Einfach Andre or Pal again saying the nastiest of them all. Some of the gore really hit hard. I actually have a hard time disagreeing with that. Yeah, I, um, I said that on the recording. Yeah, it's it's amongst the nastier ones, certainly. Do you have anything else on Saw 3? I do. I've got a tweet coming in from Alexis, Cosmic Ray Girl. I don't know what it is, but there's something very Trumpian about the way this is written. Um, <laughs> I visited Saw 3 tonight. Slow Jeff is so slow and annoying. I'm sorry you're stuck in a trap, Jeff, but can you please help all the other victims out at a quicker pace? Dina Meyer is the best. Goodbye, ribs. She's still hot, though. There's a lot going on there. Um, 
Uh, Slow Jeff does sound like a nickname that Donald Trump would give to one of his political adversaries. Law and order. <laughs> Witch hunt. Goodbye, Rubes. <laughs> Thank you for getting in touch though, Alexis. We do have Kevin as well getting in touch. Salted popcorn. Saw 3 is so good that it made me like Saw 2 more, which was decent, but actually didn't have the gut punch ending that the editing wanted you to think it had. The series could have been a superb trilogy. It would have been a better six-part series, Kevin. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, um, uh, fair point, though, I would say about the ending of Saw 2. I think that Saw 2 has three... The ending of Saw 2, without digging too far into it, has, I think, three twists, and I think that two of them really work, and one of them is framed as a central revelation, and it's not that interesting. <laughs> so I'd be inclined to agree, but I think that... I think, I, I think Saw 2 is great. I certainly didn't need it to be retrospectively improved for me by any other film. I think that Saw 2 is really enjoyable. Yeah. But it's interesting that this film did that for you, because this is obviously widely regarded as being far worse, but I think that Saw 3, as we've discussed, is great. Yeah, I, I think so. I think the first three films are actually really, really strong. I think that Philip and Chloe, having been on the fence about whether they were going to do Saw 3 or Saw 4, let us all off the hook by choosing Saw 3. Agreed, agreed, agreed. Because 4 is bad. Yeah, have you finished with the Saw stuff? I believe I have, yeah. Cool, well I'm going to continue with something from Kevin, because you just mentioned them. Um, Kevin, going back to last week, you remember if you recall, Mitch, live in the middle of the recording... A bird struck my window. Yes, uh -huh. chaos and anarchy. Yeah, and an unscripted event where, fortunately, the bird didn't breach the window. It just bounced off and presumably fluttered away. Um, you were set upon by a winged interloper. Indeed, indeed. And uh, Kevin just expressing his concern for me by saying, have any listeners checked on Andy Make Stuff today? One bird hitting a window is surely the beginning of some Glasgow apocalypse, an alien abduction, or a birdemic. Oh, God, not a birdemic. No, no, I, I, we would know if there was a birdemic by now because the sound of those birds squawking is interminable. It's unmistakable. Yeah, we've seen the signs. <laughs> Staying with Kevin Matthews, actually. Christ almighty. Yeah, I know. Um, the question was raised this week, I think it was on Twitter, actually, about which films our listeners would choose to defend if they were a guest on the show. Oh, yeah. So this is kind of an interesting thing. Kevin, I would say, probably playing a little bit fast and loose with the format here by suggesting Spice World. True terror. Uh, a horror film only by certain metrics. <laughs> Getting by in a technicality at absolute best, I would say. Well, Darren Gaskell wanted to do Surf Nazis Must Die. Well, he's wanted to do Surf Nazis Must Die since the very beginning. Yeah, he's been banging that drum for a while, and do you know what? I don't know that we've ever done a trauma film. Uh, no, don't believe that we have, actually, which... Actually, after 117 episodes, that's surprising. Yeah. Need to reach out to our old pal Liam Regan. Yeah, he, oh, he would bring one, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Stephen Wales got in touch this week on The Chudlocker. He had come across uh, something on his Amazon Prime recommendations. Oh. Now, I have not looked into this too much, but uh, he said, God suggested this nightmare fuel on Amazon Prime recently and thought, you know who's probably mad enough to watch this? Stevie. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what was it? Stevie actually got back in touch um, about it. It's called Blood Tea and Red String. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, he, yeah, I remember him talking about this. I didn't know that it was in any way related to something that Stephen had suggested. Stevie said that it was a beautifully made film that's equally creepy at the same time. I'm just going to very quickly just touch on uh, this one. So Blood Tea and Red String is a 2006 animation slash fantasy film, apparently. 71 minutes in length. Stephen watched it as well, actually, and said that it was kind of mad creepy also. Okay. So pretty interesting feedback coming in so far, but uh, the synopsis is, In a forest, a group of white mice commission a doll from the creatures who dwell under the oak but the creatures grow attached to the completed product and refuse to sell it to the mice. 
Finding an egg nearby, the creatures sew it into the doll's belly. After the angry mice return and steal her back, the creatures set out to rescue their beloved object, encountering a number of obstacles on their way, from labyrinths to poisonous fruit and sinister spider women. Wow. So it does sound absolutely mental, actually. <laughs> well, something else that Stevie watched that sounded absolutely mental this week was Kung Fu Wizard of Jesus versus Undead Robot Nazi Werewolves. Yeah, I feel like I feel like Stevie's leaning really hard into this Pied Piper of Shite thing now. <laughs> For sure, because uh, let me just read you a bit about this particular film. Sorry, can I just have that title one more time, please? Of course, of course. It's Kung Fu Wizard of Jesus versus Undead Robot Nazi Werewolves. Of course, yeah, yeah. So this is a martial arts spoof from director Jerry Williams, uh, who's previously made such films as Zeppo, Sinners from Beyond the Moon, and UFO Crash in Kentucky. Quick synopsis here, Mitch. Uh, In the near future, the Kung Fu Wizard of Jesus needs to fight undead robot Nazi werewolves. So really that synopsis is just the title extended with a couple of extra words. Yeah. (laughs) And you'll be really pleased to hear that your favourites have uh, provided the music. Who's that? It's uh, Liquid Ogopogo. (laughs) Uh, You had me for a second there. Okay, um, thank you everybody for getting in touch with all of the assorted weirdness that you've been watching this week. This is very, very interesting. (laughs) Mitch was like, The National? (laughs) Do you have anything else before we move on? A couple of little things, yeah, sweet little things. Uh, On Facebook, James Patrick Duffy reached out to our old pal Paddy Murphy just with the poster from Ghoulies 2 and a simple message that says, Thank you. Just thank you. (laughs) I'm sure that Paddy will be delighted that he's bringing such joy to people's lives with that pic. Absolutely. It seems that James really enjoyed Ghoulies 2. You know, it's a very enjoyable film. I've got a couple of things, but they're all on the same topic. So if you have anything else, then uh, I would say go for it. Yes, our old pal, past guest, Laura McQuay, got in touch. Uh, that's a Apocalypse Meow <laughs> on Twitter. I <laughs> uh, got in touch just to say, looks like I'll be exceeding my AT&T data usage for my road trip again. Um, and she's going to be listening to us and burning through all her data. Ah, cool. Okay. Um, nice to be figuring on the road trip plans to such an extent that Laura fully expects and is ready to embrace incurring a financial penalty for it. I feel like it d- depends how long the road trip is, really. If it's limited, then by all means. But I'm sure there comes a point where our prattling starts to make the road trip more annoying. I certainly lose patience with me on long journeys. <laughs> if only I could walk away from myself, I would. <laughs> God, this would be so much better if this guy would shut his fucking noise. <laughs> so my remaining feedback this week is just on the Patreon stuff. We put out a Patreon review episode this week of uh, I See You, a horror film that has recently landed on Netflix from 2019 featuring Helen Hunt. So um, a few people get in touch with this and a real spectrum of opinions on this one. Yeah, I think we were pretty much in the minority i think so gary mcconaughey got in touch on facebook saying love this one a real surprise and the rug pulls were great conversely john paul fitch i can honestly say this is one of the worst films i've seen in years i hated it i may have to become a patron just to hear this episode john patreon.com forward slash strong language violent scenes <laughs> that's the spirit Mitch. and uh neil horror of dracula on twitter listening to the icu piece and quietly fuming we had very different places on this apart from on the subject of helen hunt so yeah i am a couple of people coming in and really liking this one and a couple of people kind of falling a little bit nearer to our side of the line. Neil actually commented on the score, which 
he thought was really strong and I had actually written it in my notes and I actually agree with Neil that I thought the score certainly in the early running was really good it kind of really helped in building up the tension but such as these things Mitch you, you know we take notes and then we kind of wing it in the moment and sometimes the stuff that really matters is discarded sometimes things just get a little bit lost in the mire yeah just with the way the conversation goes sometimes there's no easy way to come back around to say oh by the way the soundtrack's good yeah score. exactly so, sometimes the natural kind of cadence of it doesn't really lend itself to cycling back to things but uh fair point neil i'm not going to retract anything else but yeah fair <laughs> share. that's about it i think yeah it is once again time for mitch's pitches mitch's pitches is a feature on the show that is designed to exploit my ignorance for your entertainment while we're recording andy will send a picture to my phone it will be a poster from a horror film from years gone by he'll have photoshopped out the title on the tagline and left only the image it'll be up to me to describe the image to the best of my ability and give it a title and a synopsis now we'll post this image everywhere so you guys can get in on this as well as a couple of you did this week. Yeah. So uh, this past week, the film, if I'm not mistaken, was uh, Zombie Flesh Eaters 2. Zombie Flesh Eaters 2 or Zombie 3 if you uh, got it in Italy. And also indeed known as The Curse of Snake Fist 4 if you ain't fist your last. Yeah, yeah, that. So, uh, yeah, just a handful of people getting in touch this week with pitches. Lay them on me. So, um, Alexis, uh, Cosmic Ray Girl, Hans Grabber seeks his revenge upon the world in Death Punch 3000, retailed in the US as the Fisting Games. <laughs> I think I've seen that. <laughs> Did you have to buy that from a special part of the shop? No, you get it for free on certain websites. Um, C.P. Buckley, when a group of rambunctious teens visit the long-lost, newly discovered Die Here Island, <laughs> they get more than they bargain for when a strange sentient hand starts to stalk and kill them. After the first night, only two of the teens remain, the nerdy Simon Beaker and voluptuous virgin Melody Crack. Whoa. Being stalked by the cursed appendage and now a cannibalistic tribe that worships it, the pair must find a way off the island and maybe find time for love in the escape. It's the 1974 ill-advised Adams Family exploitation spin-off Thing Dark Beginnings. <laughs> and with Hanny underscore Ray on Twitter as well, a small island town becomes victim to the monstrous grip of a disembodied hand, hell bent on squashing the islanders in It's a Bit of a Handful. Lovely. So best character name and best pitch this week? Oh, um, I'm going to give the best character name to the character that is an island. Uh, Die Here Island. Yes. <laughs> Fair enough. And uh, best pitch? Uh, I'm going to give the best pitch to Alexis. Okay, so Alexis and CP, this week's winners of their respective batches of nothing. Well done. Lovely, lovely. My turn then. You ready? Yeah. Okay, here it comes now. Okay, this is a relatively simple affair, given some of the ones that you've given me lately. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, there is uh, no border to the image. The uh, background is black. The background of the image is uh, what I would say is uh, a man's face, or at least his eyes and kind of forehead. Sure. He has very blonde hair and kind of like uh, kind of dark colored eyes. It's difficult to tell by the lighting what color they are. Probably like like kind of black or gray. He is looking intently into the camera. He looks kind of uh, agitated. I would say. <laughs> okay. In the foreground of the image, we have a woman in a bikini with long brown or black hair. She's also wearing what looks like a pair of kind of dangly floral earrings. Uh, she has a dagger held to her throat by a guy in kind of what looks like army attire standing inside profile. He's got a hard hat on and what looks like a, a kind of army hat. overcoat. Well, you know what I mean. A he's helmet, got a hard you. hat on, like a fucking builder. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's uh, yeah, he's got a helmet on, sorry. <laughs> uh, a pair of sunglasses um, and, uh, yeah, like a long overcoat and green gloves. He also appears to be a skeleton. Right, yes, okay. Uh, yes, he certainly he appears to have no flesh on his face. 
so there you go. Skeleton soldier guy holds a dagger to the neck of brunette woman as anguished blonde-haired man looks on in the background. You haven't really spoken to her state. Of some distress? Fine, fine, yep. Okay. <laughs> Do you need a minute? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I thought that was implied. Yes, I only need a minute. You bought yourself some additional time there, bucko. <laughs> you, yeah, you're gonna have to, you're gonna shave that off. Yeah, absolutely. That's covered it in the edit. Right. Okay. Okay. Go. I'm pretty glad that we've got this far through this episode, Mitch, without any more avian intrusion because it's quite windy outside. Um, and I've watched some birds doing that awkward spiralling flight that they do, you know, when they, they can't really they can't really make any progress against the headwinds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I would say that I would say if anything, if you were asking me to choose which of the two days between this Sunday and last Sunday, uh, you were more susceptible to a bird attack. I would have said that it was probably today rather than last week. Not to stoke the fires of paranoia at all. Well, I'm a very paranoid person anyway. <laughs> I'm currently sitting looking over my shoulder in the reflection of my monitor, just in case there's something behind me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, right, okay, I am closing in on something here. Right, okay, I'd be keen to hear what you've got. Right, okay, here we go. Join the enigmatic undead military sea captain Corporal Punishment for another instalment of the classic horror anthology digging up nautical nightmares from the ocean floor. This time we're aboard an ill-fated cruise ship bound for Cancun. Amongst its hedonistic inhabitants are young couple Fiona and Brad Feeling, who come aboard the party vessel looking for one last party before they settle down for good. Also, unbeknownst to Brad, Fiona is pregnant and hopes to break the good news to Brad on the final night of the trip. However, what begins as a deadly fight for survival soon becomes a deadly fight for survival when the after-dinner entertainment, (laughs) retired TV medium Crystal Ball, inadvertently summons the reanimated skeletal remains of a crew of merciless pirates whose ship sank immediately below them a hundred years ago to the day. Experience yet more aquatic anarchy in the next thrilling instalment of the criminally underseen series, Sails from the Crypt 5, Skeleton Crew. <laughs> I thought you were going to make a feelings joke. <laughs> no. Hurt feelings. Um, yeah. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, Sails from the Crypt, my, my, my nautical horror anthology is born. Wow, okay, it's not that. Uh, okay, I also didn't put a year on it, so I don't know, 1988. That was just plucked at your ass, was it? 100%, yes. <laughs> Well, I can tell you that the year was 1981. Okay. And the film was Joseph Zito's The Prowler. The Prowler. Okay, tell me more. Or more to the point, commission someone from IMDb to tell me more. Okay, so I think, Mitch, I'm going to go with our old pal Nick Reganis. Okay. On her deathbed, the once powerful voodoo priestess Pauline Christophe instructs her loyal butler, Thomas, to summon her remaining four living relatives. Wait, this is the wrong synopsis. (laughs) <laughs> what the fuck is this I mean? <laughs> what the fuck was that about? <laughs> hang on a minute so this is from uh, Claudio Carvalho yes the prodigal son returns let me have it on the 28th of June 1945 along the night of the graduation ball in Avalon Bay the youths Roy and his girlfriend Francis Rosemary Chatham are murdered penetrated by a rake and the killer is not found. On 28th of June 1980, a new graduation oh. dance is organised by the student Pam McDonald. Since Major Chatham, who is very sick and in a wheelchair, has prohibited any celebration for 35 years. 
The local sheriff, George Fraser, is travelling for fishing and Deputy Mark London is in charge of the security of the location. When a serial killer Why? attacks the students, Mark and Barry <laughs> seek his hidden place. Do you know what I love about Claudio Carvalho's pitches? Or the, the kids' <laughs> synopsis is that he synopses is that he puts everyone's name in. Every character gets their own bit. Yeah, I also like the fact that he drops in the major events so uh, so matter of factly. <laughs> It's extremely blasé about like, mass slaughter. It's, uh, it's that, that's my favourite thing. Okay, is this any good? Yes, it's absolutely amazing. This was the film that got Joseph Zito the job as director of Friday the 13th Part 4. It has some of the best kind of gore effects I've ever seen in a slasher, courtesy of the mustachioed man himself, Tom Savini. Ah. It's an absolute treat. It's fucking amazing. Um, it's also known as Rosemary's Killer. So you might be able to find a version of it somewhere under that title if you can't find it under the Prowler. But I absolutely urge you to seek it out because it's amazing. Cool, that, that has a f- strong Amazon Prime vibe about it, I would say. Yeah, yeah. I would check under Rosemary's Killer. Okay, cool. Um, that concludes Mitch's Pitches for this week. That image is everywhere, of course. So if you want to join in, then we'd love to hear your suggestions. Meantime, though, uh, take a look at the streaming platforms this week and a decent whack of stuff going on um, here. On Amazon Prime on Monday the 14th, we have The Non. Uh, please be aware that any other film is available. When a young nun at a cloistered abbey in Romania takes her own life, a priest with a haunted past and a novitiate on the threshold of her final vows are sent by the Vatican to investigate. Together, they uncover the Order's unholy secret. Risking not only their lives but their faith and their very souls, they confront a malevolent force in the form of a demonic nun. Garbage. I can confirm that it's certainly a film. Moving on to Netflix, Wednesday the 16th, we've got The Devil All the Time. Sinister characters converge around a young man devoted to protecting those he loves in a post-war backwoods town, teeming with corruption and brutality. Okay. Reasonable things about that, actually. Also, on Wednesday the 16th on Netflix, we've got The Paramedic. Unable to face his new reality in a wheelchair, Angel develops a deadly obsession with the woman who left him and unleashes a sinister revenge plot. And your main talking point, I think, in terms of kind of prestige and kind of status on Netflix this week, Friday the 18th, we've got season one of Ratchet. Oh, right. I, I don't like the look of this at all. Yeah, the trailer wasn't really selling me either, and I did mm. like the idea of it in paper. But yeah, season one of this on the way on Friday in 1947, Mildred Ratched begins working as a nurse at a leading psychiatric hospital, but beneath her stylish exterior lurks a growing darkness. Elsewhere, Shudder, Monday the 14th of September, we have got the Snowtown Murders, which I would not recommend watching if you're already having a bad day. Oh no, it's extremely bleak, but it's an excellent it- film. Yeah, great film. A charismatic but violent predator takes his girlfriend's teenage son under his wing and makes him an accomplice in a murder spree. And also on Thursday the 17th of September, um, one that we've spoken about on the show before, Curtis Harder's film Spiral. Oh yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, a same-sex couple move to a small town so they can enjoy a better quality of life and raise their 16-year-old daughter with the best social values. But nothing is as it seems in their picturesque neighbourhood and when Malik sees the folks next door throwing a very strange party... Something shocking has got to give. Really like this. Like, yeah. would recommend it very highly. I thought it was superb. Also, on Sky Cinema this week, one I've been looking forward to for a little while, Tuesday the 15th of September, Pollyanna McIntosh's Darling. Ah, yes, the third in the Offspring, the Woman series. Yeah, so uh, direct sequel to Lucky McKee's The Woman from 2011, Darlin has been living feral in the woods with her new mother, communicating only in grunts and eating human flesh to survive. But when the local bishop decides to civilise her, her mother sets out to bring her back into the fold, unleashing hell on the inhabitants of the local village. Looking forward to checking this out. Yeah. In fact, that might be my pick this week. I'm hard-pressed to separate Spiral and Darlin, but also Snowtown is amazing as well. So 
loads of really good stuff on there as well. Yeah, I'm going to have to say Snowtown or Darling, but like I say, uh, Snowtown's a qualified recommendation because it is unremittingly dark. Yeah, think really hard about the mood you're in before you put that on, I would say. Yeah, also, if you want some further reading, have a look into the case itself, the Snowtown Murders case, because it is mind-bogglingly horrible loads of great stuff across the platforms this week i think everybody kind of stepping up if you do check out any of that stuff get in touch and let us know however before we head out of here let's take a look at this week's episode we do once again have a guest check us out (laughs) wow yeah um he is a writer for total film gq and the radio times and also the author of the upcoming book the book of horror it is mr matt glasby this week yes i'm really looking forward to this because it's a film that has popped up a couple of times in the last few months it's currently available from 101 films on their black label and i can't recommend the package enough it's amazing uh, we're going back to 1992 mitch so you're ticking another box there in your 90s side quest before you burn it out <laughs> yep um this is tony malan's split second split second okay now this has been mentioned a few times on the show before as uh, something that people would like to hear us cover so i'm quite looking forward to getting into it needless to say i know fuck all about it so um we well i'll be learning that this week of course and this friday we will be talking at split second with matt glasby how are you feeling about that loads of ways you can get in touch with us to let us know facebook and instagram are strong language violent scenes you can tweet us as well at strong violent pc and you can email strong language violent scenes at gmail.com Yep, and check out our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash strong language violence scenes. Some cool stuff there already, and something coming this week, which I think you're going to like. It's another episode of The Irredeemables, and it might be the longest one ever. It might also be the most irredeemable of all the irredeemable films. We (laughs) will be telling you more about that very soon indeed. Don't forget, if you want to talk to other listeners, you can do as well on the Facebook group, The Chudlogger, which has been really lively and really fun again this week. Uh, That keeps on growing and keeps on being really, really good fun. We are back this Friday. We're talking Split Second with Matt Glasby. Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget, it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chuds. Goodbye. Bye, guys. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean.